The title of Angie Cruz's latest novel is How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water. It refers to an expression in Spanish, no te ahogas en un vaso de agua, don't drown in a glass of water. That is, your troubles are not an ocean, they are a glass of water. You can handle this, you can survive it. But when things are as bad as they've ever been for protagonist Cara Romero, it's hard to imagine that she, in her mid-50s, can survive the loss of her job at a factory during the Great Recession of 2008, on top of the rest of her woes and stressors. She has 12 standing appointments with the job counselor and begins to narrate the story of her life. We learn about her love affairs, friendships, family, her observations about gentrification, and her stories about her estranged son. Through it all, she keeps her head above water. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. I spoke to author Angie Cruz about her latest novel, How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water. Session one. My name is Cara Romero, and I came to this country because my husband wanted to kill me. Don't look so shocked. You're the one who asked me to say something about myself. Before we begin, can you permit me to have a glass of water? Ah, yes, thank you. Why am I so nervous? I know, I know, we're just talking. And this water, is it from the bottle? Does it taste strange to you? No? I've never done something like this before. I didn't think I was going to have to look for a job at this point of my life. La profesora from La Escuelita said, that you'll help me. You're Dominicana, no? She said, if you know a lot about me, you can find me a job. Is that true? Hi, good, because I need a job. The factory closed in 2007, right before Christmas. Can you believe that? Almost two years, I don't work. In reality, El Obama has been very generous. After the factory closed, I received 53 checks. Then El Obama gave me 13 checks, then 20 more. Did he have a choice? No, there are no jobs. My factory left to Costa Rica. You know they're never coming back. And after these 12 weeks that I met with you, I'll receive no more checks. Like my neighbor Lulu says, El Obama is good, but not God. I'm lucky because I'm 55 years old. Wait, did I say 55? I'm 56, I stopped counting. If I don't, I'll be in a coffin sooner than I'm ready. The point is that I qualify for your senior workforce program. Me, a senior? I told Lulu, I'll be a senior for the checks, but not for the canas. Ha. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's such a, that's such a great introduction to so many elements of this novel. Um, can you give us a, a quick summary of the novel? Yeah, so the novel How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water is about Cara Romero, who is 56 and has lost her job working in a factory, what we call the Factory of Little Lamps, um, that she had worked in for over 25 years. And she has to re-enter the workforce and is um, placed in a senior workforce program where for 12 sessions she meets with a job counselor and through these sessions, she basically tells the story of her life. So it's such an interesting uh, structure. I mean, the first line is, my name is Cara Romero, etc." The, the section that you read. And then over this 
these wide-ranging chapters or sections or these sessions, it's like this dramatic monologue of her being able to tell this particular story about how she lost her job in the Lamparitas factory. And it is 2008. It's at the time of the Great Recession. And as you say, she's speaking to somebody in this senior workforce program, and she gets career counseling and job listings and so many different things that then structure the the book or the the adventures, but also the stories that she shares with us. It's just such an amazing idea to, for a novel and to structure the novel in this way and in a way that gives, I'm just going to say it, kind of an unlikely character, the Mike, for the duration. I just think that that's absolutely astonishing and, and wonderful. So <laughs> I want to know where Gara came from. Well, I love what you have to say, calling her an unlikely character that's given the mic for this long, because I do think that um, I had I started thinking about this just recently um, with my own kind of difficulty in being open to listen to people that have um, very different points of view than I do. Let's say with all the things that are going on in this country, we keep listening to people say things that I'm completely against. And I was thinking that what this book does, and it wasn't my intention, but it ended up being what it actually is, is that I give her the mic for 12 sessions. Um, they're about 20 to 30 minutes each. And we get to listen to someone that maybe we would cut off early because we don't always agree with the way that they parent or um, how they feel about queer culture or um, what they have to say about gentrification. Um, and yeah, so the reason I came, I mean, the book, Te lo digo, Cara Romero came to me from some divine source. Let's just start there. <laughs> it was one of those gifts um, that I've been given in my life. Um, I, it's never happened to me this way before. I've been, this is my fourth novel. I've been writing for a really long time. I was on the subway in New York City in 2017, feeling a lot of despair because um, our political system and was um, scaring me. Um, I was reading a lot about the immigrants on the border, um, and I was wondering if writing was gonna was enough. Like, is there something else I could do for the world? And in that time, I was thinking, what other career can I do? And, and how can I start again? I feel I still, I'm still young enough to start again. Um, and in that moment, I saw this woman older than me um, studying like an ESL book. And she reminded me of my tias and my grandmother and my mother, all who were laid off during the Great Recession from jobs that they had had for over two decades. And how difficult it was for them to start again. Many of them didn't speak the language. They didn't have, you know, the education tech technology, you know, the education around the digital world. And then I said, what would it look like if I asked one of these women I know in my life job interview questions like, tell me about yourself. What are your weaknesses? And like I tell you, vino. And she said, 
You want me to tell you something about myself? I'll tell you something <laughs> about myself. I came to this hun- country because my husband wanted to kill me. And I said, oh my God, I have to find out who she is. I opened my phone right there on the crowded platform and I opened up a Google Doc and I immediately started writing everything that she said to me. Oh my gosh, what an amazing story. That is, I mean, I could think of her in that way, almost like a composite of so many women um, that I've met or women that I know about. But when we think of protagonists in novels in the United States, we don't really think of the 55, 56-year-old immigrant who's lost her job, is behind in the rent. I mean, this litany of yeah, her husband tried to kill her, this litany of misery trailing behind her. She's not been able to complete her education. Um, yet when we hear her story straight from her, her voice, her code switching, her dichos, her experiences, her funny jokes, there's nothing but a, a kind of comprehension of what life is like for some immigrants who do nothing but work and fight for their place in the United States because in their home country, they could not have survived any of a number of horrors and injustices. I mean, this book is so, you open it and you sort of like, what can Cara Romero possibly have to say? Oh, (laughs) it's just layer upon layer upon layer of of statements, um, philosophies of, and she's a flawed character too. I love her, her unreliability too, as a narrator. I love her flaws. I love the things that she sort of admits to without, sin querer, without wanting to. Um, she is just so realistically drawn, so such a such a character that I know and that I feel so strongly can lead people to, I don't know, understand. I mean, not to oversimplify what literature can do, but there's just some level of comprehension that comes with this magical character. Oh, my God. Yvette, thank you so much. You know, I um, one night I had my family, um, my extended family, this included my mother, my brother, my tia. We were all sitting um over for dinner and I had just received um, the audiobook version um, of the novel and they found a Dominican actress um, speaking in what Gara Romero would actually sound like. And I put it on the table and I had them listen to it and my mother was dumbfounded she said, oh, my God, that sounds like us. That sounds like us. <laughs> and it, it didn't, you know, you always under, I mean, we understand as Latin A women, um, part of the community, how hard it is to find us represented in literature or movies. And to see this character like Cara Romero, who is speaking in ESL, Um, who is code switching, but also really talking about, yeah, like you were saying, like the everyday hustle to survive. It was really beautiful to see um, the reaction because, you know, we say, okay, what can literature do? Literature can do a lot, I think, um, in the way that it's so intimate to have this relationship with a character you might never, ever sit and have a conversation with in person. 
And that is the thing. It's like the idea of um, this woman who's an immigrant sort of carrying this story, the the gorgeous weight of the story. But then she's also a woman of a certain age. She's 56 years old. And, you know, there's there's a sense of it for me looking at it as, as a reader, um, thinking about you as a Latin author and then thinking about um, a character like this who's an older character. I mean, to me, it, it is just... Um, it's unusual, but a, a great story is a great story, and you're drawn into her conflicts and the issues and the problems, the, the issues with family, with, with her mother, with her son, with her friends, with her sister, and it, is, it just becomes this universal kind of um, resonant thing. Um, so as a Latina of, of, of Cara's age, I can look at this and say, oh, I'm totally going to uh, relate to this woman. But no, it's, she's worlds apart from me in, in many, many ways. And yet I totally understand her, her story. Um, it's, it's just so gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. So I found so interesting here the use of Spanish. I mean, Cara doesn't speak in italics, right? I mean, <laughs> she code switches liberally. And we see this more and more in, in published works today. Tell me what it means to you to be able to do this. If Cara can code switch to communicate so freely, then we can too. And and I would say that many readers maybe who who don't necessarily speak Spanish benefit from hearing it to, if I can say it this way, hearing it without italics? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that as soon as you italicize another language, you're kind of creating a hierarchy in the sentence or you're sort of setting it apart. And I feel like that is not the reality of the way that we're flexing language as bilingual speakers. When we're speaking these languages, they all belong in the same sentence equally and the same. And um, and I do think that language changes, right? Like we can um, fight back and not um, and and believe that English is pure, but English is not a pure language. English is an emergent language, as in Spanish is an emergent language. And the beauty of having us in conversation across cultures is that we're creating a new language together. So when you have a book that is incorporating Spanish as part of the English language <laughs> in its flexibility <laughs> and breadth, um, I think what we're doing is helping um, move into a new English that embodies our presence. Yeah, I just, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, it was almost in those sections at the beginning of the chapters where she has to write down answers in English to some of these surveys and questionnaires, mm -hmm. they suddenly felt forced and 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 of course and very unlike Gara because this this is not her language. And then when she's telling us the story in English and code switching in and out when she needs to, it's so perfectly and beautifully and naturally communicated, and you can really see 
that that those contrasts from section to section, like when you you start with the survey where she's an, trying to answer in in English in a certain kind of English, and then moves into just her own uh, her own sort of register, you know, her own sort of way of of communicating. And you know, and it's it's a very long process too. To I mean, for me, it was a long process. It took me five years to figure out exactly how to tell her story. I initially wanted her to be a Spanish speaker because I felt it represented more of that popul that particular population I was interested in, which is um, the population of women between 55 and 65 that were long-term unemployed during the Great Recession. But finally, in the end, I was so excited about the syntactical possibilities of the um, English as a second language speaker in the ways that you use prepositions and, and, and the opportunities that opens up when you misspeak, so you know, in quotes, um, that I had to rewrite the book again with Gata being an ESL speaker and just thinking about how that changes the book. So, yes, I love when she says things like in serious, like in serio, like, yeah. and it just makes perfect sense. Like I, it, like it just becomes part of sort of her fingerprint of, of language. It's so lovely to hear her. The other thing about her is she's so, for all her her foibles, and she she is flawed, and she has you know she has sort of revealed unwittingly some mistakes that she's made along the way. She's very human, um, and at the same time, she's so wise. And some of the things that that she talks about with this counselor, um, and you, you you're telling me you've been, you worked on this for so many years, but I'm thinking about that section where. She is with um, her sister and her niece, and they are approached by that man who wants to take a picture of her. And there's this line about 10-year-old girls, are they're so vulnerable. 10-year-old girls are so vulnerable. And uh, Gata has this opportunity even to be a school guard, right, with no experience. And part of the, the job description is that she would have to be able to engage with and and somehow remove uh, somebody who was trespassing on the school grounds. And I could not help but think of, of what happened in Uvalde and, and sort of like this idea of um, how qualified she is to take care of children but is one thing, but then how alert she is to the realities of all of the things that we read about, these terrible things that happen to, to children who are kidnapped and, and, and so on. She's just so attentive. She's so alert. She's so vigilant. She's so smart. Um, and, and, and then I see how she talks about la profesora and la escuelita, and you just can sense her her sense of loss about what could have been had she had an opportunity to go to school. It's like she's so street smart. She's so wise. She's so wise to other people, and she's so alert. And then there's this this kind of a, of a searching for um, the things that she, do, that she was not, the opportunities that she was not able to have in her own life. And there's a richness there for this character that I find, too. Yvette, I love that you highlighted that particular moment because, um, you know, of course you write a book and then after you see these things happening in the world and what, you know, I keep thinking of 
Cara Romeros, I call them the Cara Romeros of the world, right? That yeah. are security guards or are um, home health aides who are babysitters, who are um, in the service industry, all the work they're doing, right? And how a lot of times in those positions, people do not think about their intelligence or their ability, like the very complicated ways that these people who are doing these essential services are thinking about the community. And I mean, I hope that when someone reads Cara Romero, they are thinking when they see the security guard, like everything they have to hold uh, in and, that position. Yes. That job description, that long list of duties. But exactly what you're saying, as you list all of these different jobs, I feel like, oh, Cara was all of the above, you know? It's highly qualified. She's yeah. highly qualified to take almost any job. <laughs> and yet she could be potentially so invisible and so discounted for any of a number of reasons because that's that's what society does to women, to women of a certain age or women of a certain background and um, or a, socio, a, a socioeconomic status. I mean, it's just... To, to bring her out into the light in these ways and to remind us, oh, don't sell them short. Don't, do not sell her short. <laughs> that's not this character and that's not uh, people generally, right? And we, we have this tendency, I think, sometimes to just make assumptions about even, I mean, even the people in her circle, the Lulus and, and so on. I mean, I feel like, they're a force. <laughs> They're all just such a force of 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 nature and sheer will to survive and to help each other and and to want for more. And even if she's fifty six, who cares? I mean, she has a she has many many years ahead of her, and she she really wants to make it count. In that way that she talks about, um, you know, if, if the if you're your children have moved away and you don't have a significant other, you know, she sees how Lulu is so depressed. And and yet for Gada, the story is something else. She has she has more to do and she's going to to fight for it. So I, I just find her so, so compelling. It's such a, a riveting novel. I want to ask you about this, the enigmatic title, which isn't that enigmatic for me, How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water and the word desahogar, and the many times she's, she's drinking water as she talks to the, to the counselor. Can you shed a little bit of, of light um, for our readers who can maybe now encounter this book and they'll understand and appreciate the title and what it, what it means? Well, you know, How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water um, is a play on a, a saying that um, we say all the time in Spanish, but I have learned also in Greek and Italian. <laughs> seems like many cultures in the world um, use this expression, um, which is, no te ahogas en un vaso de agua, do not drown in a glass of water. Um, and it's usually when someone comes and laments about something and someone else's reaction is that you're drowning in a glass of water. So... What I love about this title is that it gives you a really strong image of what it looks like when someone's troubles, like someone from the outside could see that you can get out of your troubles 
if you could just stop being so immersed in the weeds, as we say, right, of what's happening in your life. Um, but, you know, um, it's funny because this wasn't the original title. And I think that it was, as a writer, it was it's so hard to come up with a title for a book. And I kind of was in distress. And I was with these two poets, my colleagues at University of Pittsburgh. And I started talking about the book. And I said, and I, mu I feel like I must have said, I feel like I'm drowning in a glass of water. <laughs> you know, and then I realized how the sessions for Gada are a way to undrown, desahogarse, right? Like she, mm -hmm. that opportunity to be listened to and to have space to speak your story and make connections was a way for her to get out of the weeds. So um, it just worked. Angie Cruz, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Yvette, for inviting me. Angie Cruz is the author of the novel How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. We had help this week from David Martin Davies. I'm Yvette Benavides.